Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, in chapter 20. We would resume our series on Matthew, which we've been uh, preaching for some years now, but Matthew 20 is what we're up to. Matthew chapter 20, and the last event of that chapter, the last words, verses 29 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Now as they went out of Jericho, and that would be Jesus and his inner core of disciples, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. That's as far as we'll read. That is our text for the sermon the theme of which is they see in Jericho. want to remind you of what Matthew's all about. It's all about God revealing through this sacred book Jesus as the promised Messiah according to the Old Testament scriptures. Especially Matthew would ground the truth of Jesus from his birth to his crucifixion, death, and resurrection in the truth of the Old Testament word of God that prophesied of him. And so we'll see that also here, and we'll see that in the great miracle of the healing of the blind. I do want to remind you that in Mark and and as well as Luke, there are parallel passages here which I won't read. You can read them for yourselves, Mark 10, Luke 18. I do want to point out this, though, that there are differences, some of them significant, some not, which ought not to interfere with our understanding that these are harmonious accounts, and I believe of the same event, the healing of men, blind men by Jericho. But there's one account, Mark, who especially speaks of one man by name, Bartimaeus, and the other, Luke, speaks of one man, but there's no name given. There's other differences as well. I think, by the way, that the explanation for two men being healed here, and only one mentioned in Mark and Luke, is simply to be found in the, in the fact that there's a, there's a spokesman, and there's an outstanding one who's healed, and that's Bartimaeus. Be that as it may, however you want to harmonize this, One thing that unites these narratives together is that they all say that they took place in Jericho. Even in 
uh, on the way to Jericho, some of the narratives, or when Jesus was coming through Jericho. And so that's exactly what our narrative says. As they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and the two men were by the side of the road leading out of Jericho. However, you want to harmonize this, want to unify the amazing miracle that's performed by Jesus here, and understanding that he performed this in the environs, in the environment, in the city limits of Jericho. There's something I believe that's very significant here as Jesus visits this place one last time on his road, his journey to Jerusalem. So they see at Jericho is what we want to focus on here. And two things, that there's a revelation here of Messiah, even of the one who gives sight to the blind. And then that there are revelations here of the mercies of God shown in these blind men who were healed and who called for Jesus to show them mercy. Something very delightful here in this narrative of Jesus who heals these blind men. He's indeed healed other blind people, maybe many others that are not written, uh, whose miracles are not written in the Bible. But here is a delightful miracle of Jesus healing the blind in Jericho. There is, we ought to know, in the sicknesses of the Bible, symbolism. And the sicknesses in the Bible are symbolizing and are given to us to symbolize the result of sin. Sicknesses and being lame and being deaf and, and, and uh, blind and so on are all the uh, results of sin. And they have spiritual significance. And the spiritual significance of blindness is that we are blind in our hearts and in our minds. We cannot see the things of the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus says to Nicodemus, we must be born again. So our very sight is impaired not only, but is cut off from us if we be not God's people. That's the significance of blindness. Not that these men on the road uh, from Jericho were uh, those who were uh, blind because of any specific sin that could be. Uh, but the fact is, since the fall of man in, in sin, there's this blindness. That's the casualty of the fall. The fall is the explanation, the devil's uh, temptation of Adam and Eve was that they who thought they could have the knowledge of the tree of good and evil with impunity without being punished were struck into blindness, which was the end of their knowledge of good and evil. And this is the case since the fall. It is the case with all fallen humanity and it's the result of Adam's fall. In Adam all die, and in Adam all are become blind. Blind in the mind. We cannot see the things of the kingdom of heaven. Cannot discern what's wisdom. We would choose that for ourselves when God says, choose whatever you're choosing 
for me, these kinds of things that are a result of our blindness leads us to further things, and we stumble around as blind men will. They're not led by God. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 reminds us that this blindness is of not only of, of Adam, but it's of the God of this age, whom the devil has become. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God, should shine on them. So there's this federation of blindness, all those federated in Adam, this communion of the fallen, and we're all blind in this communion. And also, this is devilish, from the Netherlands, that is, the Netherland of Netherlands, the underworld, hell itself, comes the blindness. Not the myopia, a kind of an aberration of sight, but total blindness upon all the world. We believe in total depravity, which is to mean, uh, to understand by it, total blindness has afflicted the sons and daughters of men. And further, the explanation for the blindness is not only the fall of Adam, not only the God of this world, little g, children, not God. God is over the God of this world, the prince of demons. But that's not only the explanation. Blindness is said in the Bible to be a visitation by God of judgment. The holy God is the God who visits this world of sinners who refuse to see uh, God and to know God. God visits this with judgment, especially those who should have eyes to see. I think, for example, of Isaiah chapter 6, when the prophet is given this vision of the thrice holy God, holy God, and his commission, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Striking. Jesus, in fact, brings out that this blindness is judgment. When in one of the healings, John 9, the healing of the man born blind, he reminds the Pharisee that seeing and saying they saw they continue in their blindness as a result of God's judgment. So that's the terrible uh, manifestation or symbolism of the blindness of these two men here, one of whom may have been Emmaus, but be that as it may, we're going to just speak of these two men. They're blind, and they're symbols all over Israel of the blindness of the fallen people of, of, of uh, God's creation, and of those who are yet in their sins and blindness who are among the Israelites. Now Jesus comes here to Jericho. And he comes here to Jericho, makes a special visit here, as he would in another time with Zacchaeus, who was of Jericho, and pronounced to him that this day when he came, salvation was come to the house of Zacchaeus. 
But here we have Jesus visiting these blind men just before he goes to Jerusalem and visiting Jericho. And that city, I believe, was still significant as the cursed city. Jericho, remember, was the first city that was taken by the Israelites in their conquest of Canaan. That would have been uh, a few thousand years ago or so before this narrative in the New Testament. Remember, they, they were those who stormed the walls, children, is that right? And they, they brought up ladders to the walls of Jericho, and then they, they attacked, and they were fighting. Uh, no, it, wasn't, it didn't go like that, did it? The walls of Jericho fell, not of their own, not of an earthquake, and not because there were battering rams, but because there was the God of Israel causing the walls to fall after Israel marched around it, blew the trumpets, the very sign of the word of God. God blasted Jericho to pieces, and he commanded the people to take nothing of it and nothing of the inhabitants of it, because this city would be under the curse. It was under the ban, the cherem in the Hebrew word, as something that could not be fit for any service to God, and as an emblem of the fact that the whole of the land, Jericho being a principal city, was dedicated to destruction. And so there was this curse that was pronounced as well, that every time they would see Jericho, the people would have a memorial of the justice of God. A curse was pronounced upon he who would dare to rebuild the city, And indeed, that came to pass some 530 years later when Hiel the Bethelite sought to build Jerusalem, or excuse me, Jericho. And when he did that, according to the fulfillment of the prophecy of God who cannot lie and whose word is inviolable, there was the destruction of his firstborn in the laying of the foundation of Jericho, and then the destruction of his lastborn son, in the setting up of the gates of Jericho, fulfilled in uh, 2 Kings, I believe. So you have this pronouncement made in Joshua, by Joshua, of the curse that would be upon those who rebuilt the city or sought to rebuild it upon their own families. It would be a kind of family suicide for one to do this. Some have even said it wasn't just the firstborn and the lastborn, but all the children in between that were designated to be cursed and killed by God should anyone try to rebuild Jericho. It was that bad. That's my point here. And really, beloved, this is the significant Uh, the significance of the blindness of these two, I believe, because I believe that the city was, in a way, still under the curse, even though there there were signs that God was lifting the curse and showing mercy even before this. There was a school of the prophets in Jericho, for example, and Elisha healed the waters that were in Jericho, and that would be a sign, some say, of the alleviation of the curse, but Be that as it may, there's still blindness there. And there's still a people blind to the justice and holiness of God. There's still a people blind who would not even receive of the mercies of this Savior. And so there is this picture here 
of what it is to be fallen in sin. People are blind. Cities are blind. They're under the curse and wrath of God. God keeps them from understanding. He is someone who is so angry with sinners every day. He cannot behold sin but to punish it even with blindness. We see this today, don't we? Blind is society, the city of man, city, the whole society of human beings fallen in Adam, blind. And so much of the blindness is, is ignorance, isn't it? People don't know anything about the scriptures, even in America, where it used to be part of the way people were educated. And so they learned their ABCs. A is for Adam, and Adam all die, and so on. And McGuffey's Reader, and all these, these things in the public in America, which had many Christians as forefathers, were this instruction in truth. But what do we see nowadays? Hardly anybody understands the ABCs of the Bible. We know alphabet people more than we know the alphabet of the basic doctrines of Bible, the Bible, don't we? The ignorance is shameful. Even in the church that goes by the name of Presbyterian, Reformed, Orthodox, Conservative, whatever you want to call it, there's an ignorance of the faith of our fathers, rejection of all but stories of the Bible in rejecting the doctrines of the Bible, the teachings that God is God and God is holy and Jesus Christ is the, the Lord and Savior as well as the Savior and Lord. These all are, are kind of put to the side. People are blind and even calling good evil and evil good as the Phariseeistic blind who led the way of the religious cream of the crop in Jesus' day are representative of the ignorant church leaders of the day. Ignorance is always, to some degree or another, willful ignorance. And that's the problem. Ignorance itself is punished by God because no one should not know God. The invisible things of him are clearly received, uh, revealed in the springtime, in the trickling of the stream, and the greening of the earth and the lengthening of the days and whether the groundhog sees his shadow or not, this is something we all see in a way we know from the general revelation there is a God. And from the Bible, we learn there is a holy God who ought to be bowed to and not manipulated to become the God or like the God, the demi-God of this world. Into the blindness, praise God, has come the light of the world. And all of these miracles of Jesus healing the blind is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the light of the world. I'm the light. I'm the one who makes the sinner see. I'm the one who justifies the ungodly. I'm the one who sets free from corruption. I'm the one 
who glorifies the justified after I've sanctified the justified and given faith. In fact, if we would remember Jericho and the symbolism of that city whose builder had been cursed, we remember that Jesus is the captain of the host who met Joshua when Joshua was seeking to capture Jericho. Remember that? The captain of the host, that mysterious being, that Old Testament visitation to Joshua of the son of David, who's cried out to hear. The captain of the host was there in the taking of Jericho in the manifestation of the justice of God of which Jericho would be a, a tremendous memorial to Jews and Jewry all around. The captain of the host has come now in the fullness of the time to heal the blind of their blindness, to set the sinners free. He's the God of the Old Testament, Psalm 146 and verse 8, of whom it's said, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He's the God of the Old Testament, of whom Isaiah says in chapter 35, who when he comes makes the wilderness and wasteland glad and the desert to rejoice and blossom and the rose, as the rose, and who also at that time has it so that the eyes of the blind are opened. He's also the God and Savior of Isaiah 61, who says in chapter 61 that he's come to open the eyes of the blind, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and so on. This is Jesus here. Jesus, who does this, and who shall do this, and is doing this now, giving eyes to the blind spiritually, because he's the one who takes the curse on himself. And this is the symbolism I would present to you of Jericho and Jesus healing one last time at Jericho. Jesus, after all, is on his way, very busy on his way, will not be impeded on his way to Jerusalem, but not really to Jerusalem. He's going there, but then he's going to be outside of the camp of Jerusalem, bearing the curse of Jericho, of Adam, of you and me. And that will be the juridical ground for this healing of the blind men here, not to be only a memorial of the justice of God, but a memorial of the mercies of the curse-taking God. Now, beautiful, here's the captain of the host. Here's the real Joshua. Who's the one who gives the land of Canaan to God's people, the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's Jesus, and he's right here. And we learn of this here, don't we? that this is what's happened to us. It's happened to you, hasn't it? You have eyes to see. Jesus, and eyes to believe. And there's this wonderful ambling now that you, on which you go, this, this walking, because you've been delivered from your blindness. 
this walking that becomes a following of Jesus, even as happened to the men who were healed. And this is my second point. Matthew 20 is not only a revelation of the Son of Man, the Son of David, but of the mercies of the Son of Man. And I proceed to expound that somewhat. As the crowd went out of Jericho, and there's a great multitude followed him, and behold, this ought to catch our eye, two blind men were sitting by the road, and the other narratives say that they were there on the way to Jericho or or here on the way out, but also they were begging alms. They were beggars. And these blind men, and most likely Bartimaeus was the principal blind men with the gift of of, uh, leadership, I suppose. They're sitting there and they cry out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Now, hear this cry, beloved, because here is what prayer is. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. It's for mercy. That's our prayers. That's the principal prayer, the supplication of all the people of God. Whatever you're asking for, it's for mercy. Whatever you're asking for, it's please show mercy in granting this thing or this someone in my life or this work that I need and this daily bread or whatever, have mercy on me. You see, that's a cry of sinners who know they need Jesus. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Have mercy. They knew something, beloved, in this pristine call for mercy. This first time perhaps call for mercy to the son of David. They knew something I think we forget very easily. Ours becomes a merciless life to the degree that we don't cry out for mercy. We live on our own batteries, our own energy, because we've been roused by a cup of coffee or two in the morning, or maybe by the encouragement of people. We live by that, don't we? Some of us, too much so, we live for the praises of men. But God's people are described here in those two blind men. In those one naturally under the curse and knowing they can't see it all, somehow, though of course, how do you know what they knew of the symbolism here? But we do. But they know something. They know their need. They know they're in a pit And mercy is needed because mercy is God's love for those in the pit. Or in the pits. You in the pits? Or the pit? There's this mercy. Cry out for it. They knew that it it wasn't going to be, I'm going to give you something, Lord. I'll reimburse you for your time. And because I've inconvenienced you. And I'll show just who I am. I'm worthy of heaven. I'm worthy of sight. I'm worthy of being a disciple. And no, they they just cry out for mercy. 
and they know the need, and the need is that they be mercied by Jesus. They don't go anywhere else, and that's the second thing. They're, they're there, and their eyes are focused. Their eyes, their attention is focused in their blindness on this Jesus. Now, we don't know what they've heard of him before, but they hear when they hear that he's passing by so that they cry out and call, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. They identify this Jesus as the son of David, the excellent son of David. Fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7, there will be a son of David to sit on the throne of David now and forever. That's Messiah. They knew something, something in the hoary past. They weren't exactly and entirely ignorant of Messiah. He was the one of whom the scriptures said there would be a son to sit on the throne of David. And they're putting it all together and maybe just by intuition, no, by faith. And they're saying, here's whom we know you are and believe you to be, and this is what's characterizing their calling for mercy from Jesus' faith. He's the son of David. He's the biblical Messiah. The Messiah, too, of the prophets. The Lamb of God who will be slain. And it's not for his own iniquities, but it's for ours. So they cry out to Messiah. That's a good thing, isn't it? Focusing on Jesus. Saying, I'm down here and you're up there. Come down to be with me down here. And help me in my life. Help me in my home. Help me in my marriage. Help me in my church. Help me at work. Help me at play. Help me to be yours. With what I know I need, it's sight right now. And with a thousand other things we need from heaven. You come here with a lot of needs. Jesus can meet everyone. And not the least of which is correcting us when he says, you don't really need that. You need this. I have something better. For these new, and even in the other narratives, it's told of the one, Bartimaeus anyway, that he cast his cloak off. I find that striking. An example of faith because well, we don't really get this unless we understand something of the Bible in cloaks, outer garments. These beggars had outer garments, which were kind of standard attire in those days and which would serve many, many things for blind men too, but for many people would serve and the poor people it would serve as a place to sleep at night and something you'd throw over you to keep you warm. There were laws in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and you can read them later for yourself, that even prohibited taking somebody's outer cloak as surety for a, for a loan, maybe, or a debt, to pay a debt, and keep that cloak overnight because the person would go cold in the night, in the cold desert nights. But a, an alms person and a person who's blind especially would need the the outer coat in a special way as that on which people would put their little coins 
or maybe pieces of bread, and so that the blind person on whose coat the coin was dropped would know where to find it. Now, I'm not speaking as a fool here, but this is very practical. These people were in need. How do we even know what this is about? We got refrigerators, after all, and cupboards, and they're full, and they're stores, and they had nothing. They couldn't work. So he cast his cloak off. That's something. And I don't know why in particular, but he thought maybe, you know what? If I go to Jesus and I'm going there right now, he just called me. I'm not going to need this coat as I did in the past because Jesus will have healed me. Complete trust. And more. And I'm speaking here as someone who is extremely moved by this whole incident. As someone who was blind, but now I see. You know what this blind man was able to do at this time by faith? by his cries for mercy, and because of the fact that he persisted and they persisted to cry out all the more. Notice that in verse 31. After the multitude had said, Shut up! You're bothering Messiah. They cried out all the more. They persisted. Nothing would interfere with their receiving mercy from Jesus. If that were possible, if he'd had something to do with them, They cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. They they first started, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. The multitude said, Be quiet. And they didn't change their words. They didn't become more articulate. They They didn't say, Here's some reasons why. They kept on saying the same thing. Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And what happened? They stopped Jesus in his tracks. So Jesus stood still in answer to their calls. Is there not something here, beloved, of the miracle of Joshua himself calling for God to stop the sun in its tracks for the conquest of Canaan? The sun of righteousness stops at the call of the blind sinners. Have mercy on us. And then he has compassion. I think it's the King James that says here and certainly in other places, he's moved with compassion. So they stop the sun then they move the sun who's the unchangeable God. They move him with compassion. He who is sovereign is moved in reaction to the need. Moved in his bowels, the idea of the Greek language, in, in his inner, inner stomach, in 
In the very inner soul of himself, he's moved. He's not disinterested. He's not a man of a multitude, but not of individuals. He's a man of a city, to be sure, but he's a man of men, individual men and sinners and women and children. He stops. He's going to the cross to die for the elect of God entirely. And here it is seen that he's come to die for individuals of the elect, for one by one sinners, every one whose, name are, whose names are written in the book of life. Jesus has come for Bartimaeus and A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z, sinner. They stop him, they move him, they elicit a call from him. This is all in their prayer, their sincere prayer. And when he says, what do you want me to do for you? Of course he knows, but he's eliciting from them a further prayer, an articulate prayer. They say, Lord, that our eyes might be opened. Of course. There's something there of prayer and what our Lord wants in us when we pray. It was said by someone who believed in the sovereignty of God. When he prayed, he said, Lord, you know, amen. And God wasn't pleased. Because the Lord, when we pray, wants us to know. wants us to voice our real need. To engage not just in receiving from him, but in a relationship with him. He wants us to be his friends and to draw near and to speak with him and to hold him and not to let him go until he blesses, until he stops and calls and blesses. And then they see. And they see. Finally, that miracle, before at all, this miracle of faith, because surely these were men of God. Because after they saw, and Mark and Luke say they glorified God, they praised God, and they followed him. Where? Where? Right to Jerusalem and to the cross. Who knows where they went after that? But theirs was now a life in the light. They were blessed to follow and blessed to know that Jericho was no more their home, not even Jerusalem. They didn't have any other home but heaven. So, beloved, that's the lesson here of they see in Jericho. They see still today or God's people given the light. Do you have good sight of the Savior? Does it result in, is it resulting in you in much prayer for mercy? Is it resulting in us that we preach mercy, we want to hear mercy, and we call sinners to believe in the mercies of the Lord? Well, then we're on the way home.
with the blind men who've received sight, and those who've received legs to walk, and those who've been forgiven. Every one of us, Canaanites, Jerichoites, all, but God's own. God's own people of compassion. Go your way now and spread the word, will you? Amen. Father, we pray to have learned from the gospel of Jericho and the gospel of Jesus giving sight to the blind. The gospel, the good news that you deliver us from our guilt, our ignorance, our willful denial of truth. And you make us followers, believers and followers of the one who has abundant mercy to pardon all who call upon him. Lord, hear our prayers. Heal us of our own blind spots, our blindly walking and following the way of the world. Lord, deliver us from the world. In the majority opinion, in anything that would hinder our praise and calling out for mercy, just to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.